0: Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Good Good morning. It's good to see you all here. I appreciate those words on calling. God's calling every single one of you to do something. God has called all of His people, at least in some sense. Regeneration is referred to as a calling. So, in that sense, all of God's people are called. They're all born of His Spirit at some point. But God's calling His people to serve Him as well. There's calls unto service. There's calls unto ministry, which is a very particular sort of call to service. Not all of God's people receive that call, but yet all of them are called to serve in some sense. I find that Jesus Christ said something very popular. here. it said a lot. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? What does that mean? Take a moment and just think, what do I think that means? When I hear the Lord say, seek first the kingdom of God. Does that mean I put God first in all things? Does it mean, it probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Well, I need to be in church every Sunday. Well, I need to be praying for others and all these sorts of things. I think there's a lot of different manifestations of how you might interpret that. But he says, seek first the kingdom You see, it's not just the king, and there's a sense in which all glory goes to God, and all of our credit, and all the things we look to and worship. That's all about God. But God also has a kingdom, which is a manifest state here on this earth, the Lord's church. And some of the glory of God that you come to see, and appreciate, and have thanksgiving over comes from you having an observation not just of the king himself, as if we're sitting before his throne and seeing his manifest glory like Isaiah did, but seeing the work that he does in your brothers and sisters in Christ all around you. Seeing the kingdom itself, right? It's seeing what God is doing all around you is part of seeing his glory. He is working in this world. Jesus Christ founded the church, and He didn't found it for no reason. It wasn't like, eh, kind of optional, you know, if you believe on me. Join the church, don't join the church. That's not the way it's set up. There is an institution on earth, which is the kingdom of God, the visible church. And the Lord intends for those who believe on His name to profess it in the waters of baptism and join with His people. And as you seek the kingdom of God, you're going to see more of what God is doing in this world. Brother Randy made mention of, have you prayed for something and then, you know, you see it. Maybe you see some answer to that prayer very quickly on the heels of that, and it it makes an impression on God's people. I suspect that God delivers His people, even those who are not church members and don't have fellowship with the church, I suspect that God delivers them in many, many ways throughout the course of their lives, even though they may not be praying for something. I'll submit the first thing I said about every, every one of God's people is called as the first evidence of that statement. An unregenerate man never prays that God would regenerate him. He has no thought of God. He has no concern for God. And yet God is merciful towards His people and regenerates all of His people in keeping with a covenant promise. You didn't ever ask for that, by the way. Religion in America today will tell you you had to ask the Lord to be given that blessing. But that is not how it works. By the time anyone had a sincere desire to want to know God better... He'd already been touched by the calling of God, else he would have never wanted to do that in the first place. You see that? So God blesses His people in many ways, providentially and and in other ways in their lives, even though they may not be praying for it and those sorts of things. But when you are in the kingdom of God, and you have the family of God there next to you, and you have brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you are sharing your concerns and your struggles and you're asking them to pray for you, and they're telling you they're praying for you, and you're praying for things together, and this goes on year after year after year. When you receive those deliverances, you understand something about how God answers prayer. You see that? There will be things that you'll pray for in life, and maybe they'll get resolved within 24 hours. I've had that happen. Some of y'all are praying for things for years. I've got things on my prayer list that are years long. I pray for them. I have not seen the deliverance yet, but I continue to pray for them with the earnest expectation that I'll be delivered in that regard. And I'm telling you that there is an experience of joy, a worshipful experience and observation among the people of God who are experiencing that deliverance within the context of the kingdom of God around God's people that is different from just whiling out there in the world, disconnected from the kingdom of God. You're going to see a lot more of those deliverances, and they're going to mean a whole lot more to you. you know, you're out there in the world, you might just say, well, it was just random chance, it just kind of all worked out. You're in the kingdom of God, and you start tracking prayer requests and following them and watching the deliverances over and over and over again. You start to get a testimony of how faithful God is to His people, And what a blessing that is to have been enfranchised in asking those questions. I'm really focused on the kingdom of God today, and I stopped last week in 2 Timothy at the latter part of chapter 4. Stopped in about verse 9. My previous sermon was uh, trying to get to this point. It was a section on friends that I wanted to speak about. I think my sermon title was Fables, Fights, and Friends, but I never got to the friends part. So... Cut the friends part off that last sermon title, I guess, if you want to accurately describe it. And now we're into friends, and I'm going to expand this. I'm going to call it friends and family. I think this is a section of the Bible that people are apt to kind of quickly skip over. It's kind of like the genealogies in the Bible. Why all those lists of people, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and then he lived so many years, and then he begat so-and-so. What's that in there for? Well, there's reasons for those things. They help us define the lineage of Christ, for one thing, in some of those genealogies. But in this example, which is common at the end of some of Paul's epistles, he starts mentioning a bunch of people. Now, it's a very common thing in our society today to regard religion or spirituality as a personal thing that is just kind of nothing but between you and God. There's no kingdom out there there's no community of religion so to speak it's just a very personal and mystical thing and that is not the form of religion that is described in the new testament that's not the christian religion the christian religion is a social religion in that it defines a kingdom here on this earth It has principles and precepts. It has things you are to do within the kingdom. You're supposed to profess the king. You're supposed to join the kingdom. You're supposed to have fellowship with your fellow citizens in the kingdom. These are all things that are part of Christianity. And when you start saying, well, we don't really... I don't know about these biblical texts and the teachings. I don't know about that as part of my religion. I just want it to be something mystical. And I don't really want to have to talk about my religion. It's a very common thing you hear politicians say, well, I don't talk about my religion. That is not the Christianity described in the Bible. Not at all. I want you to consider for a moment, think over the next 12 verses or so, 12 or 13 verses, Paul ends his letter to Timothy and he mentions like 17 people. He's calling them out by name, right? Now this rings very true to me because of the relationships I have with you all. Talking to one brother, oh, how's brother so-and-so do? Oh, well, what's going on? Did you find out what was going on with that? There's actual personal relationships with these people here that they care about. It's not some random congregation that I don't know any of these people. It's just whoever shows up and I don't have any relationship with them. As long as there's enough people here to pay the bills... That'll be fine. These are people he has friendships with and familial relationships with within the kingdom of God to such a degree that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to mention them by name in his letter. I think God is saying something here. These personal relationships are important. The people in your church, your fellow church members, you should not consider them as, well, that's old brother, what's his name over there? Brother so-and-so. We have 50 members of this church right now. We ought to know every single one of them by name. And you ought to know something about them. You ought to be enfranchised in their lives to some degree. You ought to have conversations with them. You ought to see what's going on. I promise you that will be a blessing to you if you enter into it it's part of stepping toward the kingdom pressing into the kingdom of god very important now this is a family i say this a lot from the pulpit the kingdom of god they are a family they're a spiritual house and a spiritual family When you think about all the effort that you put into developing and cultivating and maintaining the health of your own personal family, your natural family, we should be putting those same sorts of efforts into the familial relationships we have within the kingdom of God. I'll say this, and it's not always a comfortable thing to confront. There are many ways in which members of your spiritual family in the kingdom of God can be and are closer to you than your natural family members. Now that is just true. If you really think about it, there are many ways that natural families can have differences of opinions about sorts of things. But when you come together in the kingdom of God and you're sitting under the ministry of the word and you're, you're all accepting, that is the truth. We believe that there are connections that are made there on a spiritual level that transcend your natural familial relationships and you shouldn't write that off now it is a family and that doesn't mean it's all perfect okay well i think one of the problems that people have when they're in the family of god is we get some conflict going on between a couple of brothers they have a disagreement over this or that And, you know, people end up leaving churches over these sorts of things. These kind of things crop up. But you know what? In your natural family, you can't really just like, okay, I'm not going to be a member of that family anymore. You're pretty much in by genetics. See what I mean? Spiritually, you're in this family by the new birth. You're part of that kingdom and you've joined it by covenant and by declaration in the waters of baptism. You really can't get out of it that way. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. You're going to have trouble in a family. In any assembly, any group, any institution that has such sorry membership as we're going to pick a bunch of sinners and put them together, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. And it ain't going to be, well, our brother so-and-so, he's caused a lot of trouble. Oh, there's a lot of trouble. Well, you're going to be part of the trouble too, right? We're all bringing a decent load of trouble from time to time into these things. We are imperfect sinners and stuff like that. But just in the same way that you wouldn't want to kick somebody out of your natural family just because they were acting crazy, you don't want to quickly dismiss anyone from the kingdom of God. It's an opportunity for us to look at ourselves and say, hey, I've got my own issues too. And by the way, we're a family. We've got to get over this and keep moving forward. So interesting to me, in the 17 people <laughs> mentioned, he starts in verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Well, we're not getting off on a good foot here. So what can we learn from this? These people, Paul knew them by name, and he's coming right out of the gate with, it ain't all rosy all the time. Demas hath forsaken me. There's not a whole lot of explanation about what is meant by that. Whatever you could make of it, Paul certainly thought he had been forsaken by the man. And I don't know how far that goes. I don't know if he had renounced the faith or if he had just not done something in keeping with what Paul wanted done or how deep this division goes, but it's there. And the lesson we can learn from that is there's going to be trouble in the kingdom of God from time to time. you got trouble in your own natural family. And don't be coming in here saying, well, there shouldn't be anybody that's ever causing any trouble in the church. That is insane. It's going on in your own family. So why are you thinking it's not going to take place here? We're all a bunch of sinners and we have our issues and we bring them here. So come into this knowing, yeah, it's a family. Families have trouble from time to time and we have to keep moving, right? We have to keep on going. That doesn't disqualify the whole thing. It doesn't invalidate it anymore, then those things would invalidate your family. It just doesn't happen. So we need to know that. The reason I say that is because I've heard people say, well, I don't want to you know, be involved in church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. And, you know, I had a bad experience at a church one time a long time ago, and, and it, things went sour, and, and it just soured me on church. I get that those things happen. I've been involved in some of them. So I get it but you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It doesn't mean the kingdom of God is not something you should no longer seek. Jesus didn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of God, unless somebody steps on your toes and offends you a little bit. And then, you know, those people, they totally invalidate everything I say about seeking the kingdom of God. If that was the case, there would be no command to seek the kingdom of God. That's how messed up we are in all these things. So Paul comes out of the gate with a bad example right here. He, he kind of is talking about people that he knows. These are people he personally knows, right? Right? I can't determine from this text if Crescens and Titus have also forsaken him or if they just don't happen to be there. I can't tell what's being said there. I don't know. There's a question in my mind whether he's saying Crescens and Titus, they're just like Demas. They've gone too. Or if he's just saying, well, they're not here and I wish they were. It's hard for me to tell. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. But I can't honestly distinguish what's being said there. But he's mentioning people. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You see, Paul's an apostle. He has a special calling of God. He was converted on the road to Damascus with an interaction with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He had a pretty unique life story going on here, right? So it's almost like if anyone could say, well, I can go it alone. I'm a lone wolf in the ministry here. I'm an apostle. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I've been writing books of the New Testament. I'm just going to be a lone wolf. I'm going in alone. If anyone could make that claim, it would seem that Paul might be able to make it. Now, Paul's talking about Mark, and he's saying he's profitable to me for the ministry. Even an apostle who wrote some of the New Testament is recognizing there are members of the kingdom of God that help me in ministry. You see that? He's not saying, well, my connection is to God and God alone, and I get everything from God, and I don't need any people down here. He recognizes that God provides people. He provides a family that provides support around you. Even though I don't have any doubt that Paul had a very strong and direct connection to God, he recognized the temporal benefits of his spiritual family and how that supported him. You see that? He was not a lone wolf in all this. He's like, I'll take the help. I'll take the help. And he recognized that it was profitable to him. Verse 12, Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. He's sending other people out to minister. There's another lesson, right? Ministers can get into this realm where they think, well, I got, I'm the minister. I'm getting paid to do this, so i got to do every bit of it, right? The only one that can go to Ephesus is me because I know all their particular problems. I'm the only one that could straighten all that out. no. Paul can't be everywhere at once. And he knows and believes God raises up men to help him deal with problems in ministry. And he's like, I'm sending him over there. I don't know if Paul might have thought, I think he's got a special gift that could be helpful to Ephesus. I don't know if he thought, he might have thought that. He might have thought, I don't know, Tychicus has a lot of problems, but I think God's called him and God's going to work it out in whatever reason or whatever mindset paul might have been in in that he sent him to ephesus and he sent him there because he thought he would be profitable to those people verse 13 the cloak that i left at troas with carpus when thou comest bring with thee and the books but especially the parchments paul thought reading and staying abreast of these things was important i'm sure this was part of what he was studying to show himself approved unto god it's obvious that Paul knew things about the society that was around him. He was aware of the poets of his day. He makes reference to them in Acts 17. I think he was situationally aware of various philosophies and things like that that were in his society, and he, he used them to his advantage. But he obviously thought that reading and study was important for a minister. Now at here, verse 14. <laughs> we get back to the bad stuff again. Remember, it's a family and just as families have their trouble from time to time, the kingdom of God, the family of God is going to have its trouble as well. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. In other words, I'm turning that over to the Lord. He didn't say what, <laughs> what this was. Sounds like it was pretty bad. And he's kind of like, the Lord will have to deal with that. And that's how it is. Verse fifteen: Of whom be thou where also? For he hath greatly withstood our words. So here's someone who's cropped up within the kingdom, and is causing a lot of trouble. It appears that he's opposing the truth. By the way, this has happened all throughout Christendom. People say, "Well, how do you know what you know? Christianity? how How can you figure out where you need to be? There's so many denominations." Well. It was not so at the time this was penned. There was Christianity and there were churches and they were already starting to have problems. But if you take this problem and multiply it thousands of times over across two millennia and you end up with splits and all sorts of schisms and all sorts of divergent teachings. And so people say, well, it's hard to get back. How do you know what's the original? Well, we have the Bible and we can look at it. It's actually, I'm just going to say this. It's made out broadly in the religious world. Well, the Bible is so it has been translated, and all these languages, and, and do we really even know what we have here? And all that is a big dust cloud that gets kicked up to discourage people from studying the Word of God. There are things in the Word of God that are difficult to be understood, but there are many aspects of the Christian faith that if you just take a sober and sincere reading of the New Testament and then try to find the kingdom that mimics that behavior in our time today, I believe will lead you to the Old Baptist Church. So this error, which is cropping up in the first century, very early on, you know, you got an institution made of sinners, you're going to have some trouble. This error, multiplied over time, leads to the confusion that is here today. But the ancient landmark of the Word of God still exists. I'm amazed at how people will say, you know, well, I'm very... Well educated, I have studied the works of Shakespeare. I have read the works of Shakespeare, I've read all his plays, and I have gone to the higher institutes of learning, and you put a King James Bible in front of them, and they're oh, I can't. We need a new translation of this. That old English there, I can't read that. I mean, that's ridiculous. The principles and precepts of the Lord's New Testament church are very well established in the Bible. And if you will honestly read it, seek first the kingdom of God and say, where does this institution exist on earth? One that hasn't changed hither and yon, a whole bunch of things. You'll find it. I believe that. I truly believe that. He withstood our words in verse 15. Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. Well, that's a pretty bad testimony, right? All of you departed from me. Well, that's rough. So does Paul conclude, well, because of that, kingdom of God is of no value, just forget it. I'm going to be randomly spiritual on my own. I'm going to be a spiritual lone wolf I'm not going to worry about the Bible anymore. I'm just going to go with straight mysticism. I'm going to feel my way through religion. Just whatever makes me feel some kind of way, that's going to be religion to me. And I don't have to defend it or I don't get it out of the scriptures. I don't have to rely on anyone else because there really is no kingdom. It's just a one person kind of deal. No, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And we know we're going to have some trouble when it comes to matters of family. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Well, there you go. He's acting like Jesus, is he not? He's making the point that these people are just sinners. They need to be forgiven. You're going to need to be forgiven of sins you commit in the kingdom of God. There's some people out there that say, well, once you're a Christian, you can't sin anymore. I've had people tell me that to my face. I'm a Christian. I don't sin anymore. I always say, can I ask your wife? (laughs) Ridiculous. We all struggle with it. Paul was forgiving. Verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul stuck with ministry And his ministry objectives, even in the face of having everyone oppose him. Now that's a remarkable testimony. I can say that what you all think about matters of ministry is important to me. It's of some importance, let's put it that way. I recognize that people may think some things that are wrong about ministry, and hopefully I wouldn't adopt those ideas, but... It's hard to honestly enter into the situation where I thought, what if I believed what I was doing was absolutely right and everyone in the Lord's church forsook me on it? I'd want to say, well, I'm going to do what the Lord says. But I see Peter rising up in zeal saying, Lord, we're never going to let anybody come kill you. It's difficult to uh, definitively state what someone would do in a situation like that. The Indians said, don't say it unless you've walked a mile in their moccasins, right? Unless you've been in that situation, uh, it's difficult to say. But what I can say is that Paul stood up to it. He had everybody forsaken him, and he said, I'm staying the course, right? And he did it so that the truth would be known. The Lord stood with him. Verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ultimately, his reliance was on the Lord. He sees the value of the kingdom of God and of certain people in the kingdom of God. He recognizes there's going to be trouble in the kingdom of God. That's part of what kingdom work is. There's no self herding sheep. Shepherds have to be working with sheep who are trying to find their own way and they're wandering off and putting themselves in danger. That activity takes place. It's kind of part and parcel of the matter of ministry. But we go forward recognizing the Lord's going to be with us. Verse 19, he says, Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. So he's naming people here by name. He's like, you know, he's saying this because these people know the people he knows. And they're having a conversation about real people and real relationships they have with people, people they care about, right? Right? This idea that you can kind of come to church and you never build relationships within the family is extremely unprofitable to Christian people. A lot of people get into that state because they want to avoid accountability. The more you get to know people, the more likely it is that you might expose something about your own life that you'd rather not have exposed. Well, I'm going to turn that around and say that's certainly true. I understand the inclination to want to be that way, but you're looking at it the wrong way. You're looking at it from the standpoint of, I am not going to give this other thing up, when in reality, that perspective of your brothers and sisters in Christ might be the very thing you need to get you out of something. You see that? That's a very important thing. We can't just slip in the back and try to pretend that we don't make any contact with anybody. I remember when I was starting to become convicted about the fact that I didn't go to church. I thought, well, I need to go to church. I had in my mind this thought, well, if I could just kind of slip in the back, jet out real quick. I don't want to get to meet anybody. You know, I don't want any of that. I can remember that thought in my own mind. So I don't think I'm, I'm raining this down on you. I've had the same thought myself, but the help of the family is tremendously important. And it can help you in a lot of ways. I I can't leave verse 20 without pointing out that he left Trophimus at Miletum. Now I made a statement earlier that if you look in the New Testament and you see what they're doing there, and then you come back and try to find that church in this day and age, that I think it'll lead you to the old Baptist church. Well, somebody might say, well, I see them healing people and speaking in tongues over here in the New Testament. Yeah, you do see that. That did happen for a season. That was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel 2, 28 through 32. You look that up. That was fulfilled in the time of the apostles, but waned. And it departed after a season. It was there to help build up the church initially. And this text makes that point. Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. This is Paul the apostle, a man who healed the sick, right? And here he's leaving a man sick at Miletum. You say, well, I see they're healing people in the New Testament. There's no healing services going on at the Old Baptist Church. Yeah, you know why that is? Because Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletum. Even the apostles, this this gift they had waned even during their own lifetimes. That's why we are cessationists, you might say. We don't believe that that particular set of gifts is still in existence today. I'm not saying that God could not miraculously heal somebody. God is sovereign over all things. He could do that. But of the form that it takes in the New Testament, it's not there. And I believe you'll find if you start really digging into the matter of those who claim to be in miraculous healing ministries, you're going to find a whole lot of problems with them. I often put it this way. You don't see anybody healing withered hands. okay? Nobody's restoring amputees. Nobody's bringing people back from the dead. It's always, well, ants right leg is one inch shorter than the other one. Come on now. Really? It's crazy. This is what happened in the New Testament. This is the part that people overlook. These things waned. They were there for a season and they had a purpose. And that purpose is now behind us. And even Paul at this time in the first century could no longer heal people. You see that? Where do you find that? You find that in the Old Baptist Church today. See, we believe those things happen, but we believe they happen for a season. Well, let me finish this chapter here. Verse 21, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Ebulus greeteth thee, and Prudence, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be to you. Amen. He's talking about people they knew. You see that? It's not just generic greeting to the church. It's like If I wrote a letter and I said, you know, Brother Murray says hello to to you all up at Salem Church. And they're writing back and they're mentioning people in their congregation and they're saying, you know, say hello to Brother Thomas Burnett, right? There's real people that they knew. They cared about them. They wanted to see them again. They, They didn't have the ability to travel the way we do. They might have seen those people one or two times. They hadn't ever seen them since. May never see them again. But they cared about them and loved them. And that's why they get mentioned in these letters. I'm not going to go through all this list, but I'll give you something to look at. Colossians chapter 4 at the end of the book of Colossians. Philippians 4, 18 through 23. 1 Corinthians 16, 17 through 24. And the entirety of Romans 16. He's just going through all these people that they know. And greet this person and let them know this and that. And this person was helpful to me. And look, it's a family. You see that? Families are not all good. You have trouble in families, and that's going to happen in the kingdom of God as well. However, it's important that you press into the kingdom. You come to know and build relationships with these people. It will be enormously profitable to your life. Know them by name. Know what's going on in their lives. Find out what they need prayer for. Discuss these things with them. It comes right down to it. The kingdom of God is a personal matter. You have to get personal with other people to understand the fellow citizens in the kingdom. It's going to be a great encouragement to you as you begin to understand the challenges that other people have. You may find someone who has the exact same challenge you do. You may have a real connection on that. That can be tremendously helpful to you. You may find someone who has a totally different challenge than yours, and that can be helpful to you. You know, a lot of times someone else's challenge just helps keep your challenge in perspective, right? You can be sitting there thinking oh, i got this issue going on and then this other brother or sister comes up and they tell you about some horrible medical situation going on maybe it's their mother or their father or themselves and this is what they're dealing with and you start realizing man what am i complaining about you can add perspective to your life when you understand those things but it's very important that you understand it's a personal thing where you get to know one another You're not alone. You are part of a kingdom and you have fellow citizens all around you. You'll benefit to the extent that you press into their lives. Embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things I love about us is we call each other brother and sister. I believe that as strongly as I believe anything. You are my brothers and sisters and I love you. And I hope to get to know you better and better with each passing year that we're able to serve in the kingdom of God together. But it's also a pattern. I gave you those examples. Just read Romans chapter 16 this week and look at how Paul is naming all these people by name. They knew people by name because it was a personal thing in the kingdom of God. They wanted to know their brothers and sisters in Christ even as you want to know your own natural brothers and sisters in this world. I pray that's a blessing to you. You have an opportunity to join the family by a letter of baptism. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons, preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.